You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. You know, that music is so ominous. I don't know if it's the best way to begin a message with that kind of tone. However, we have been talking about some of those emotions that grip the heart of all of us and how to challenge them, how to deal with those emotions. And today we're going to wrap up this series on the Invisible 99. Before we do that, I need to make a timeout. I forgot to mention that today is the day that we are collecting the Coins for Kids offering. So even though we received the offering baskets already, of those of you who've been collecting your coins for Coins for Kids, if you give online, you can just kind of take that money and make a special donation to Coins for Kids. There's an app for you to do, or there's a way for you to do that. Or if you want to bring it next week and just use an envelope designated. So thank you so much. That goes to help with the orphanages that we work with in Cambodia and Myanmar, where our students are going to be traveling this year. So forgive me for not mentioning that sooner, but uh, let's just jump right into the message. We've talked so far, by the way, Those of you that may be guests, you see the sign up here, step forward. That's been our theme for the year. We're talking about stepping forward. The Bible says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And if we're keeping in step with the Spirit, that implies that we're making progress spiritually. So our whole year has been about that. And uh, we're talking in this series about stepping forward with integrity. There's a verse in Proverbs that says, people with integrity have firm footing but those who follow crooked paths will slip and fall. So I want firm footing. How about you? I don't want to be slipping and falling. So we want to have that attitude. We want to be able to deal with those things that hold us back. And the Invisible 99 speaks to those things that, um, that, that, that part of us that we know about that others not necessarily, do not necessarily know about. When I think of integrity, I think of that unseen part of me. And the unseen nine are the thoughts and the emotions that are hidden in my heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it's the wellspring of life. It's the wellspring of life. We need to guard our hearts. We need to guard our hearts. So this month, as we've been leading into Easter during this time of Lent, we've been looking inward, looking at those emotions that get lodged in our hearts the result of which damage us. They damage your soul, and uh, they're invisible to those that are close to you, but eventually they come out. Inevitably, they will. We've been looking at Andy Stanley, a book that he had written called Enemies of the Heart, at these four emotions, and he talks about how each of these emotions that we've been talking about have a debt-to-debtor relationship. In other words, we talked about anger. Anger is fueled by the sense that you owe me. You did something to me, and you owe me. You better pay me back. I demand a payback. We need to get even. That's that you owe me, and I'm angry at you for that. Greed talks about the idea that I owe me. I, what's mine is mine, I've earned this, I deserve it, I, I should get all that I want or all that I can, can get. And it's this, this idea that, that's fueled by fear of, not, of losing. So jealousy, we talked about that as the idea that God, you didn't give me the kinds of blessings or gifts. You didn't deal me the same deck that so-and-so has and I'm mad at you. It's about God, you owe me. 
I didn't have the family that they had. I don't have the opportunities that they have. I don't have the good looks. I don't have the personality. I don't have whatever it is that they have. God, it's not fair. You owe me. And so jealousy is that idea that I'm jealous of that person, but really jealousy is directed toward God because God's the one, the only one that can give you these things. So today we're going to wrap it up. We're going to talk about a, an emotion that we don't like to talk about. And that has to do with guilt. Guilt is the idea that I've done something wrong to you and now I owe you. I owe a debt to you. I hurt you. I need to make it up to you. I need to make it right with you. And when we carry guilt around, it is a heavy burden to carry. It's the result of doing something that we perceive is wrong. Guilt, somebody wrote, said, is the pain that we inflict on ourselves in order to pay for the pain that we cause others. It's the pain we inflict on ourselves in order to pay for the pain that we cause others. It's this debt to, to debt. We are the debtor to that person that we hurt or we caused pain, to whom we caused pain. Um, guilt is the regret for something we have done. It's a little bit different than, than uh, uh, regret is the guilt for what we didn't do. Do you get that? Guilt's the regret for something that we did. Regret is feeling guilty for something that we should have done that we didn't do. But underlying guilt is this companion emotion of fear because guilty people live with the fear that they'll be found out. And it's that fear that will be found out that weighs on us heavily. That is the tax that our conscience pays to guilt. Fear is that, is that tax that your conscience pays to guilt, and shame is the penalty you pay when you're discovered. So, so, so underneath this feeling of guilt is the fear that we will be shamed. Fear that we will be shamed. And that's what traps a person in secrecy. That fear of getting shamed traps a person in secrecy. And here's the thing about guilt. As long as it stays a secret, it has power over you. It has power over you. Everybody has secrets. Person told a pastor one time, Pastor, if you knew everything there was to know about me, you wouldn't let me into this church. The pastor replied, If you knew everything about me, you wouldn't let me be your pastor. And, and everybody has this. A study in the Journal of Psychology and Social, or Personality and Social Psychology says that the average person is carrying 13 secrets, nearly half of which they've never told anyone. And according to the study, just thinking about the secrets that you carry make people literally feel burdened. They did tests, and the test showed that People perceived that the tasks were actually heavier when they were thinking about their secrets. When they were consumed by their secrets, the tasks that were before them were more difficult to accomplish. King David understood this in Psalm 38, 4. He says, my guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. How many of you understand that that's what guilt does to people? So the big question today is, what's a, what's a guilty person to do? What's a sinner to do? How can a person truly unload that burden of guilt that they're carrying? And, and here's the thing. 
The key to unlocking that prison cell of secrecy that keeps us repeating the same things, because as long as it's in secret, it, it still has power over to you. You know, you do something bad, you confess to God that you did something bad, but because it's still a secret, it's easy to fall back into that, and you just repeat the cycle over and over again. But how can a person truly unload that burden? You got to let the light into the darkness is what you need to do. Andy Stanley hits the nail on the head when he said, secrets lose their power when they're exposed to the light. The light exposes our secrets. It frees the heart from the oppressive power of guilt. That, or, I'm sorry. Um, the light that exposes our secret, secrets and frees our heart from the oppressive power of guilt is confession. We've all seen the stories of the famous person or the pastor or the well-known person who gets exposed and it's tragic and embarrassing and shameful. But more often than not, they will come and say something like this. As painful as this is, I'm glad that it's finally out in the open. I'm glad that it's out there because now I'm free. Now I can walk away from it. Now it no longer has that power over me. In John's epistle, he says the following, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So how exactly does confession relieve us from the burden of guilt? Let's talk about that. And I want to say that there are basically two degrees of confession. And the first one I'm calling is confession light. And that's the, that's the churchy kind of confession that we're used to. Protestants have a version and Catholics have a version. They're both confession light versions. The Protestant version is we confess to God in church, something convicts us or we do something wrong, we feel bad about it. And, and maybe in secret, we'll go to God and we'll say, God, you know what I did. I'm sorry for what I did. I'm sorry that I did this. God, because of Jesus, I ask you, please forgive me. Thank you, Jesus, for taking the penalty of my sin. And we walk away feeling a bit lighter because our conscience has been cleared. However, because it's just between you and Jesus, it's still a secret. Now, the Catholics have a little step up from that because they have an actual confession booth. They have a sacrament of confession where you go and you tell the priest what your sins were and the priest talks you through some things that you can do, prayers that you can pray, activities you can do to help resolve yourself, unburden yourself from the load of guilt. But the confessional booth is sacred and the priest is sworn to secrecy. So though you tell another human being, which gives you a little more letting the light in, it's still in secret. So it's still going to have the power over you. And so much of what we do in our confession light version is just to clear our conscience. It's not about changing our behavior. And so I call that confession light. Is it wrong to do that? Absolutely not. Are we forgiven for that? I'm sure in God's eyes you've forgiven, but the power of the secret 
still weighs on you and the guilt quickly returns when you repeat whatever it is or maybe you have that person that you hurt and they don't know about it and you're feeling guilty about carrying that secret around with you because our secrets are like burdens or like a backpack that we carry around that weighs on us. So, 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 Protestants dump their sin bucket on God in private. Catholics confess to a priest. But in both cases, the tendency is to go right back out and continue doing the same things over and over again without victory over the recurring behavior. Correct? Right? I mean, we all understand that. So, so why this endless cycle? It's because we've not allowed confession to become a tool that transforms us. We've used it as a loophole to continue in our sin. And when we use confession as a loophole to keep sinning because, hey, if Jesus is going to forgive me, then might as well just go out and do it and say he'll forgive me, right? And so what happens is confession light sometimes enables sinful behavior rather than helping to really transform a person. Now that gets pretty, pretty heavy. So confession light is pseudo confession. It's like a cold pill that treats the symptoms, but it doesn't really get rid of the virus, right? It just makes you feel better temporarily, temporarily. So let's talk about what I'm calling true confession, true confession, confession light in secret, true confession is about true change, true change. You see, in scripture, confession is always about change. Confession is just one step in a sequence of steps that lead us out of the darkness to walk in the light and maintain integrity. And and true confession is clearly connected with the idea of repentance, Repentance isn't just feeling sorry. Repentance is turning around and going in the other direction. That's exactly what the word repentance means. It means a 180 degree turnaround and, and ceasing going in the direction you were going and turning around and going in the other direction. It's not just saying, I'm sorry. Repentance is change. Repentance, restitution is making things right as best you can. Restoration is a restoration of the broken relationship that comes because of the thing that caused the guilt in the first place. So in the Old Testament, confession was always a public experience and was associated with making restitution. I want to hit briefly on just four scriptures throughout the Bible, and there's so many others, but, but beginning in Numbers, here's what the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites, any man or woman who wrongs another in any way so as unfaithful to the Lord is guilty and must confess the sin that they have committed, they must make full restitution for the wrong they have done and and add a fifth of the value to it to give it all to the person that they have wronged. So here in Numbers, in Leviticus, you see these laws that were established to help make people uh, make things right. You're guilty, you've done something wrong, confess to the person, make restitution, and pay a fine on top of that. Give them you know, the uh, punitive damages on top of the actual damages that are caused to teach you a lesson. It wasn't enough just to be sorry. Moses, God was telling Moses, 
that, that changed behavior. We can't enable this kind of behavior to go on in our, in our body, in our, in our community, in our, in, in our 12 tribes. So let's have this as the thing that we need to do. So having to go public and make restitution certainly motivates changed behavior, correct? So then we move on. John the Baptist appearing in the wilderness preaching baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And what was happening there right around the time of Christ was people were saying, we need to change our country. Our people are falling away from our traditions, from our faith. And, and, and as a result of that, we are becoming more weak. And because of that, the Romans have now oppressing us. And we can't have any strength, moral strength or whatever, if we continue to enable this behavior. So most or so John the Baptist calling people to, to, to be baptized. And in baptism, they would confess their sins. They would be put under the water. Their sins would be washed away because they put it out in the open. They would come out of the water and they would have a new slate, a new beginning. But it was an initiation right into a new way of life to walk in the ways of God. And that's what baptism symbolized for John the Baptist. And it's really a lot of what baptism is for us. But this whole idea of making it public actually works. The founders of the 12-step program developed the 12 steps based upon scripture. They were looking for a way to take the principles of scripture to help people be set free from their alcoholism. And now it's the same 12 steps that are applied to drug addiction and actually any habit that one might have, these 12 steps work for anyone. But those who discovered the way how this really works started with what? Number one, admitting that they're powerless over it, that, that uh, our lives are unmanageable because of this. And uh, I won't read all the 12 steps, but step number five is Admit, admit to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. That's confession. Admitting to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our behavior, of our wrongs. And then it goes even further. Step number eight. Make a list of all the persons we had harmed and became and become willing to make amends to them all. Wow. Wow. Make a list of all the people we've harmed and be willing to make amends to them all. And then number nine of the 12 steps is make direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. So you understand that sometimes bringing it out into the open could hurt them or hurt somebody close to them, but you need to do your best to make that happen. So that's why we see that the 12 steps, whether they are in a faith-based organization or a non-faith-based organization, people have recognized universally that confession and making restitution uh, is, is what sets a person free from the things, the secrets that keep them bound, that keep them in, in that prison of secrecy. The Bible tells a story. Jesus coming into Jericho 
And there was a guy there who was most unpopular in Jericho. He was the tax collector for Jericho. And in those days, you understand, they would collect the taxes, they would go to Rome, they would go to Caesar, and they would impose these taxes. And the tax collectors made a living by asking for more than what they owed to Rome, and so they would keep a portion for themselves. And the tax collectors had the nicest houses and drove the nicest donkeys and, um, you know, really had a little status. But they were Jewish people who were taking taxes from their Jewish countrymen and giving them to these Roman oppressors. So you can imagine how Jewish people hated them, feeling betrayed by their own countrymen and selling their, their souls, so to speak, for the money that they would get in this profession. Zacchaeus was his name. Zacchaeus. You've, you've sung the song in, in Sunday school and I hear it already, the loop going in your brain right now. That, that worm is going in your brain now. The song Zacchaeus was a wee little man, right? There you go. See, there you go. And so anyhow, Zacchaeus, the tax collector, it's a cute song, but he wasn't a cute guy. All right. And uh, anyhow, he invited Jesus. Jesus invited himself to Zacchaeus' house. Zacchaeus was honored that this this esteemed rabbi, this miracle worker would come to his house because no other Jews would want to go to his house and be associated with them. And Jesus got a bad reputation for acts like that. So he goes to Zacchaeus' house. He talks to Zacchaeus through somehow meeting Jesus, says, I need to get right I need to make this, this, this lifestyle that I'm leading right now, hurting my fellow countrymen, it's not helping them, it's not helping me. I don't want to live with the guilt of this any longer. And so he makes the statement in Matthew chapter, or I'm sorry, in Luke chapter 19. It says that Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, Lord, look, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said, today, salvation has come to this house. You see, in the Bible, confession is never put out as a substitution for repentance. It was a step in the process of repentance. It was the means to change. It was the way to make the turnaround, to say, this is who I am from this day forward. I'm going to go a different direction, and I want to make it public that I'm doing this. And those who I've hurt, I want to make it up to you. I want to make it right with you. That's true confession. It's not confession light. That's the true confession. Jesus said in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, when you are coming to offer your gift to God on the altar and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, he says, go back and make it right with them. Then come and give your gift to God. I thought it was just enough to tell God I'm sorry. I thought it was enough to just put a check in the offering plate. I thought it was enough to just check the box that I went to church on Sunday, that I took communion, that I did this. That's, I thought, and what if Jesus said to us when we came in the doors, you know what, before you get right with God, get right with your neighbor. Get right with the person that hurt you. That's what Jesus is saying. And he's the one that has the power to forgive. I don't know about you, but that weighs heavy on me. 
Basically, he's saying we can't resolve our differences with God if we're unwilling to resolve our differences with other people. We can't be in step with the Spirit if we're out of step with the people around us. The two go hand in hand. And confessing secretly to God isn't a substitute for confessing openly to someone that you have wronged. Because guilt chips away our self-respect. Guilt is that burden that weighs us down. And confession, yes, has the potential to undermine that respect and to bring shame on us. But it is only when you are transparent and self-relevatory or revealing that you can find that that shame no longer has to be a force to condemn you. But that shame now becomes an opportunity to be changed. And who doesn't want to be changed? Who doesn't want to walk lightly? Who doesn't want to keep in step with the Spirit, skipping down the road rather than drudgingly going down the highway? So, true confession, open, repentant, with restitution, courageously faces down fear and shame and frees us from the grip of guilt. It's courageous. Public confession has the power to purge our hearts from the guilt that keeps us from living out in the open, free from the secrets that keep us in prison. The reason we feel guilty about things in the past that we've done, even though we've confessed them to God, is because we've not made them right with the person that we've hurt. What about forgiveness, you ask? If God has forgiven me, why do I need to dredge up the past? Why do I need to bring up this stuff? Isn't it paid for on the cross? Well, that's a great question. And the answer is, yes, it is. Yes, it is. And I thank God that on this first Sunday of Passion Week, we remember the story of Christ entering into Jerusalem of how the crowd welcomed him at the beginning of the week, but by the end of the week, they were yelling, crucify him. And how Jesus willingly went to the cross, though he was accused falsely, though he was smitten, though he was beaten, though he was purged, though he or scourged, though he was put onto the cross, nailed to the cross. He had the power to call all the angels from heaven down to set him free, but he chose to do that. Why did he do that? Because the Bible says that there on that cross, somehow, some mysterious, miraculous way that I can't fully describe or explain, God took the sins of those in the world who have done everything wrong and they put it on the Son of God, God himself. If Jesus was just another human, it wouldn't work. But since Jesus was God, it works. He takes upon himself all the guilt and all the shame and all the sin. He takes on himself the penalty of our sin. He pays the penalty for our sin before God. But that doesn't necessarily make it right, and it doesn't necessarily set you free from the secrets that keep you bound. And so, yes, we're forgiven before God, and that might ease our conscience, but the true confession that really you go and make it right, and you you become transparent, and you become vulnerable... That's the way to get healed. That's the way to be forgiven. That's the way to truly be set free and walk in the freedom that you have. I'm going to ask the band to come up at this time and we're going to respond. We're going to sing some songs. 
But I thank God for God's grace. Where would we be without it? I can't do anything to earn God's forgiveness or salvation. Yes, you are forgiven in God's eyes if you confess to Jesus Christ. I'm not going to take that away from us. It's not by works. Even doing that doesn't make you forgiven for God, but it does the sign that you have confessed to God. God's forgiven you, but the people that you have wronged may not have forgiven you. And that's why going to that person and making things right to the best that you can helps you to be truly free from the secrets that bind you. Andy Stanley says, Christ paid a debt that he did not owe and one that we could not pay. And it's that kind of love that should motivate us to pay the debts that we can pay to those who we do owe. Imagine if the tables were turned. And I'm sure you can remember people who've hurt you. Maybe they've stolen from you. Maybe they've lied to you. Maybe they betrayed you. Whatever that may be. Maybe they've abused you, misused you. Imagine someday, and it could be months, years, decades later, that person comes back to you and they say, I just want to say to you, do you remember when this happened, when I did this, or when this happened to you and you didn't know who did it, it was me. I just want to be honest with you, I did that to you. And I can't tell you how long I've been carrying that burden of guilt and I'm doing this not just to relieve myself of my guilt. I want to make it right with you. I want to make it right with you. I want to pay you back for what I've stolen. Maybe I can't even pay you back, but I want to pay you back by letting you know that it was me and you're free to do with that whatever you want. What would that do for you if somebody really sincerely came back to you with a repentant heart and did that? Obviously, it would help that person who confessed, but it would probably do something in you too. It might set you free from the anger, from the bitterness, from the deep hurt that that person caused that was left unpaid. And if that would happen to you, imagine what that could happen if you did that to somebody that you may have hurt, you've gone to. So here we are this morning at the end of the message and the big idea is God's forgiveness doesn't exempt you from responsibility to confess and make restitution and make things right with other people. But God's forgiveness really is the real reason that we should do things right. God paid too high a price to reconcile you back to God and let you continue to repeat or live in the, carry the burdens of secrecy that you carry. He wants you to be free from the cycle of of, of, of guilt and shame that goes along with a pseudo-confession. Because confession breaks the death grip of guilt and it sets us free to embrace a future where we can skip in step with the Spirit and not trudge in step with the Spirit. Is that what you want? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Imagine if all of us were able to do that. We could do that. I know it's scary. I know the enemy saying, are you an idiot? I know, I understand. But 
But I also know that God loves you too much to let you continue in a way that's going to be self-destructive or destructive to other people. That's why we need to be honest and be real and be transparent. And the Apostle Paul said, I am the chief sinner among all. Would you bow your heads with me? Often on a Sunday morning, the easy thing to do is raise your hand and say, yes, Jesus, that's me. Please forgive me. The hard step is saying, Jesus, give me the courage where I can, where it's not going to cause harm to anybody else to go and make it right with those who I've hurt. So I want to give you the opportunity to pray that prayer right now. Would you just say, Jesus, I need your help. I know that you know everything about me. I cannot keep secrets from you, Jesus. Your spirit understands completely. You're omniscient. You know everything. And I also know that you who know me best absolutely loves me unconditionally. And I thank you for that. And I thank you for your forgiveness. I thank you for the price you paid, Jesus. I thank you because you suffered greatly so that I may be forgiven. The courage that it took for you to do that is unspeakable, unfathomable. You sweat drops of blood over it. And as we remember that this week, God, I pray that you would give us the courage that wherever possible, where we can to come clean so that we can be set free from the secrets that weigh us down. I pray for everyone in this room, God. Pray for all of us here, God, today. God, give us the courage to not just be right with you, but to do right with others so that we and they can be set free. Help us to do that, I pray. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.